Well, good morning. It's good to be here. Uh, welcome to my living room. Uh, it's pretty fun to be able to do this just from my own home. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Jonathan, uh, and I have the privilege of being able to preach here, to be able to open the Word of God with you as we continue on in this new sermon series called Hashtag Blessed. Now, now, we had come up with this sermon series a while ago before all of this pandemic stuff started happening, but, but I found it's a really, really timely reminder, right? I, I don't know, as you watched that little video and all the different pictures that people had, you know, posted with the hashtag blessed um, tag onto it, have you noticed how many of those things we can't do right now, right? There's a whole bunch of people, you know, they're hanging out with friends. We can't really do that right now. There's a whole bunch of people on vacation. We can't do that right now. There's people going out to restaurants and eating all these different things. We can't really do that right now. It's interesting to see because this is how so many people have defined a, a blessed life, or at least part of it. And it's interesting to see how quickly a bunch of those things get taken away. How easy it is to take away a whole bunch of things that people would say define part of a blessing. I think you'd have to say, if your life is defined, if it is blessed by the things that you have or the trips you get to go on, you'd have to look at your life right now and say, you know what, it's no longer blessed. In fact, it might even be cursed at this point. And so I think in contrast to that, the blessings that Jesus talks about are so much more compelling, aren't they? Because the blessings that Jesus has for, for his disciples are not taken away after a couple of weeks inside. In fact, they are blessings for us no matter what we are going through. We actually are promised this blessed life. And so I'm really excited to walk through these blessings together and continue to dive into these beatitudes. And one of the things I've noticed as, as I've been working through this is just how, how bizarre they seem to be. Have you noticed that? How backwards they seem to be? I, I would expect, you know, it's the blessing for the strong, right? Blessing for the, the self-possessed person. But that's not what Jesus says. No, he says, blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are the poor in spirit. They're so often the opposite of what we would naturally assume. I think that's part of what Jesus uses to catch our attention in this text. So if you have a Bible with you, let me invite you to open to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 is what we're going to be in, and we're going to look at just verse 4 today. Uh, but I'm going to begin actually in verse 2. I want us just to read a little bit of the context and get ourselves back into these Beatitudes. So Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 2. It says, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So here again is one of these really backwards kinds of blessings, right? Blessed are those who mourn. Right? Sounds wrong, doesn't it? In fact, last week, Pastor Matt uh, let us know that, that this word blessing can actually be translated in a couple of different ways. It can actually be translated as happy or, or fortunate. And doesn't that sound just so polar opposite, right? Happy are those who are mourning, right? That clearly doesn't sound like it should go together. And yet that's exactly the point. Jesus wants us to think a little bit about what he is saying, about what he has been teaching to us. So this morning, that's exactly what I'd like us to do. I'd like us to look at this little verse 
and simply ask two questions. Who are those who are mourning? What does that look like? And then secondly, what is this comfort that is for us? What is this comfort that Jesus promises to his disciples? So let's just start with the first question. You know, what is this mourning? What does it look like to be mourning in this case? Well, I think, you know, almost naturally you'd read that and you'd say, well, this is just a blessing for, for anyone who is mourning, right? Anyone who's feeling sad, there is comfort in Jesus. You can come to him and he will make your life better. Now, that's kind of half true, isn't it? Right? There is no promise in the Bible that if you come to Jesus, all the problems in your life are going to be worked out. That, that isn't a promise that we have in the Bible. But there is a promise that coming to Jesus is coming to comfort, that he does bring comfort. So what exactly is he talking about? What kind of mourning is in view here? And see, here's where I, I think reading this passage in context is really helpful. Right? To read it in context reminds us that this is not just on its own. Actually, that there's other things that Jesus has already said, and they're meant to be viewed together. Right? These beatitudes aren't meant to just be taken one, one, and one. They're actually all working together, building on one another, and working together. And so Jesus starts off and he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Right? Blessed are those who are recognizing that before God, they are spiritually impoverished. They have nothing to bring, right? This isn't talking about people who are depressed or disheartened or, or physically or financially poor. No, this is about a spiritual poverty. Well, I think it's the same thing that we read here in verse four. Blessed are those who mourn. This is a spiritual mourning. This is those who recognize that before God, they are needing to mourn. Right? That they don't have everything they need, that they can't earn their way to God, and so there is a mourning going on. Or, or maybe we could be a little bit more specific. This is a blessing for those who mourn over their sin. See, Paul says in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, he says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. See, Jesus here isn't talking about worldly grief. He's not talking about, you know, this sort of death producing. He's talking about a godly grief that recognizes our sin and leads us to repentance. I think that's the mourning Jesus is talking about. It's a mourning over our sin. And so that mourning should lead us then to repentance and to salvation is what Paul says. And if you've been around the church for a little while, you probably already know where this is going. You can probably trace forward some of the, the, the rocks that we're going to see here and the comfort that Jesus is talking about. But before you do that, would you just pause with me? See, sometimes when we think we know what the Bible is going to say, we end up actually missing what the Bible is saying to us. We miss some of what God is trying to tell us right now. So notice again what Jesus says. He says, blessed are those who mourn, right? Paul uses the word grief, those who are grieving. And you notice that in both of those words, there's a bit of an implication there. The implication is that there is an emotional response to what is happening. There is an emotional response to our sin of, of sadness, of mourning, of grief. In fact, it's not just an intellectual ascent. And here's where I think we often misunderstand, that we often miss the purpose of what Jesus is saying. It's not just a blessing on anyone who says, you know what, yeah, 
I, I've sinned. You know what? I've messed up in my life. You know what? You've messed up. We've all messed up. Hey, we're all sinners. It's okay. You know what? Jesus will forgive us. That is not what Jesus is talking about. Actually, he's talking about those who are mourning. Those who are grieved by their sins, who feel in the depths of their heart, in the depths of their stomach, what they have done. Right? I think if you are a parent here, you know exactly what this distinction looks like. Right? Because you've probably had kids at some point, and you know, you've got two uh, kids, and they are starting to fight with each other. And eventually you, you just, okay, stop. That's it. All right? You need to apologize to your brother. You need to apologize to your brother. Okay? And they look at each other. And they got their fists in, you know, fists, <laughs> hands in fists. And they're looking at each other and they're gritting their teeth and they're saying, I'm sorry. And you then look at them and you say, okay, but now you need to say it again and you need to mean it. Right? We all recognize that there's a difference between simply saying, I'm sorry, and genuinely being sorry. Right? We recognize that even from, you know, when we're kids, there's a big difference between someone who apologizes to us because they have to and they're gritting their teeth and someone who comes and is genuinely apologetic, who is genuinely sorry about what they've done. Right? And Jesus is trying to bring out that distinction by using this word mourning. It's not just anyone who says, I'm sorry. See, we can use that word for all kinds of different ways, right? We can say, I'm sorry, and we can mean a thousand different things. We could simply be just trying to make ourselves feel better, right? I, I'm sorry for what I've done. I, I just need to apologize, and it just makes me feel better, and uh, that's all. That's not genuinely a person who is sorry about what they've done, right? There are people who are sorry because of the consequence that has come about, Right? They're sorry that you no longer you know, think of me as a good person. I'm sorry that that happened. They're not genuinely sorry of what they've done. They're simply sorry that fallout has happened, that they have been you know, now looked down on. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about in genuine mourning over our sin looks at what we have done and says, I am not okay with that. That genuinely cares about these things that isn't led astray into all these false kinds of apologies, but is genuinely distressed, who is affected, who has an emotional response to our sin. So do we mourn over our sin? Do we actually care about it? Do we actually care to the point that, that, that we would willingly change things in our lives to, to see that it doesn't happen again? See, if you've ever, you know, talked with someone who's mourning, you'll probably notice that they have changed, haven't they? Right? They, they, maybe they've taken time off from work. Maybe they've started to dress a little bit differently. Maybe they're starting to call people they hadn't really talked to, or, or maybe they want to close up and not talk to anyone. Right? Genuine mourning actually causes a change in us. Well, it should be the same with our sin, shouldn't it? We should be looking at our sin and saying, you know, I don't want to be doing that again. I'll do whatever it takes not to fall back into that trap. Are we genuinely mourning our sin? Do we mourn our sin? Are, are we genuinely affected by it? Do our emotions get stirred because of what has happened? See, I, I've got a little dog here at home, 
And oftentimes I'll be working in my office and I, I won't notice, but she'll come up right behind my chair and she'll lay down. It's very sweet. She wants to, you know, be near me as I'm working. But the problem is I don't always notice when she does that. And every once in a while, hasn't happened a lot, but I will back up and I will suddenly hear a yelp as I accidentally run over her tail. It is the most heart-wrenching little sound as she yelps in pain and, and runs away in order to get away from me. And I feel terrible. I feel awful. I immediately go and say, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I pat her head and try and make sure she's okay. And I keep saying, you know, I, I didn't mean to do that. Not that she understands any of that, but I still need to do that. Why? Well, it's because I am genuinely sorry for doing that right? That the pain that I caused is, is a genuinely affected me. My emotions are stirred in that moment. I feel horrible. Is that how we feel about our sin? I think if, if I'm honest, there are times where I feel worse about hitting her tail than I have felt about my sin where I have not mourned as I ought to have mourned over my sin, where I have not felt it in the depths of my stomach and been wrecked over this. See, Jesus is talking about actually mourning our sin, not a casual passing glance, not saying with a flippant air, well, everyone sins, it's no big deal but actually mourning over what we have done, over the betrayal we have made before God, that, Jesus says, brings blessing. And here's where you almost want to stop and say, are you, are you serious? Why would that be a blessing? Why would we want that? Why would you want to feel that way? Why would you want to feel that conviction all the time? I mean, goodness sake, if I actually mourned over every sin I committed during a day, I'd never get through the day. How would I want that in my life? That doesn't sound like a blessing. That sounds like a curse. Well, here, let me give you this example. The example is, is a little bit like walking, uh, walking to the bathroom in the middle of the night. And you come and you catch your pinky toe right on the corner of the bed and you hear as you crunch into it a crack. Now, the question is, do you want to feel that pain? Now, you might say, you know, absolutely not. I don't want to feel that pain. That sounds horrible. Get me away from that. And I understand you saying that, but consider the alternative. See, one of the complications that comes with diabetes is that you can lose feeling in your extremities, in your fingers and your toes. And so the situation I just talked about is a very real one that happens all the time. And people can actually stub their toe and not realize it. Right? They didn't feel it, and so they simply go on, they walk on it, and days after days go on, and, and the wound gets worse and worse because you never allow it to heal, you never even think you need to, and so you walk on it, and it presses, and it presses, and it presses, and eventually what happens is that actual cells start to die in there, and actually infection can start spreading, and it continue to grow and, and be this gangrenous growth until finally the only thing that can be done when you actually go to the hospital and you say, my foot is black, is they have to amputate. See, here's the thing. Actually feeling that in the middle of the night is a good thing. It saves you from something far worse down the line. 
In fact, that's exactly Jesus's point. Blessed are those who mourn over their sin, who feel the effects of their sin, because that sin is going to bring death in them. James puts it this way. He says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, brings forth death. Sin brings death. And so Jesus says, blessed are those who can feel that and are willing or able, who are looking to actually find a remedy for it. See, the thing is, if you never feel the pain, if you never feel that sting of, of sin, you will never go looking for a solution. You will never go looking for a cure. And so the promise is that those who feel, who mourn over their sin are blessed. Why? Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Here's the reason for this comfort. Here's the reason why feeling that pain, it's not just that, you know, feeling that hurt or whatever, that sorrow is a good thing. It's a good thing because there is a comfort, because there is a solution to be had and it is found in Jesus himself. In fact, it's found at the cross. The cross is perhaps the most beautiful picture of mourning, and comfort at the same time. See, at the cross, there is, there is incredible mourning to be had. As we look at the picture of, of what our sins have cost, that it took the very life of Jesus Christ, the, the Son of God, the Eternal One who has been wrapped in glory since, and who has created the entire world, the only innocent man to have ever lived and ever walked on this earth. He is the one who died in our place. It is his life that cost to pay for our sins. In fact, it was so horrible that even Jesus, when he was going to the cross, prayed, Lord, if there is another way, please let's do that. And yet God brought him to the cross. This was the only way there was in order for our sins to be paid for. There is mourning at the cross. But is there not such great comfort? 1 John chapter 2 says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, not, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. See, here is the comfort of the cross. It is that Jesus has paid for our sins, for all of them. For every sin that we feel, every sin we mourn over is cast on to Jesus. And so John writes this passage and he says, I want you, church, to realize, I don't want you to sin, but if you do, I want you to know we have an advocate before the Father. It is Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the one who laid down his very life. The one who gave himself up for us. The one who bore the wrath for our sins. That's what propitiation means, wrath-bearing sacrifice. He took the punishment for our sins so that we do not have to. 
See, here is the good news, is that for everyone who mourns over their sin, everyone who feels that weight and burden of their sin can come to the cross and cast that burden before Jesus Christ, and he has paid for it all. That is the good news. That is the comfort that we have in coming to Jesus. It's the comfort we have when we feel that weight of sin that we can come to Jesus and he has dealt with all of it. There is no sin you have felt that Jesus cannot pay for. No, Jesus has dealt with all of it. Jesus has dealt with all of it. Yes, we should feel that weight of our sin. And we should feel that weight leave our shoulders at the cross. 1 John chapter 1 says this. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the promise that we have anyone who would come before him in faith and in trust would be forgiven at the cross. See, that is the promise we have today for everyone who would call on Jesus. That is the promise for us. Our sins would be forgiven. But see here, the comfort is greater still. Because this is a comfort that's not just for today, but in fact, it's for tomorrow as well. See, Jesus doesn't just come and, and forgive us our sins and then say, well, okay, you're now on your own. He actually comes and he walks with us. He not only forgives us our sins, he not only heals the wounds, but he in fact teaches us how to walk around the bed. Teaches us how not to hurt ourselves again. You know what's better than not feeling the pain? It's not being in pain. It's not being injured in the first place. Jesus actually teaches us how to no longer walk in sin that we might not continually mourn again and again. And yet the promise is still there. Yes, we are going to mess up. We are going to sin. And Jesus is there to forgive us, but he will also call us to walk like him, to be more like him. We call this sanctification, being more like Jesus. We're called to be his disciples and follow him. It's the promise for today. It's a promise for tomorrow. In fact, it's a promise that's greater still. It's for all of eternity. See, the comfort that Jesus brings, this promise he has, is not just for now. It's not just for tomorrow. It's for all of eternity. When one day we shall dwell with Jesus forever. We shall be with him. And in fact, then there will be no more sin. There will be no more mourning. There will be no more crying, no more pain. All of it shall be taken away. We shall dwell with him forever in joy and rejoicing and celebration because of what Jesus has done for us. See, that is the comfort Jesus is talking about. It's a comfort for today. It's a comfort for tomorrow. It's a comfort for all of eternity that we will dwell with him. There is so much to be rejoicing over. That is what blessing truly looks like. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 
There is no mourning of sin now that heaven shall not cover with immense glory. In fact, there is nothing we shall mourn over now that shall not be far, far outdone by the glory of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. See, this is what Jesus says is a blessed life. And so the question for us then is, well, what exactly should we do with this? How exactly should we then act with this pronouncement of blessing? How should we live? I'm going to put it this way. Do not avoid dealing with your sin. If we can learn something from here, I'm going to say it's this. Do not avoid dealing with your sin. I think we try and avoid it in two different ways. The first is simply to to do the very churchy Christian thing, and it's to jump immediately to Jesus and say, oh, I've sinned? Okay, but I'm forgiven. Oh, I almost felt guilty there for a second, right? Oh, I almost almost felt my my sin, but it's okay. Jesus forgave me. I'm good. I'm good. I can just keep on going. I don't have to worry about that anymore. But see, that's not the promise, is it? That's not the blessing Jesus has. Jesus has a blessing for those who mourn, who genuinely feel that weight of their sin, who recognize the gravity of what they have done. Right? So you can almost think about it this way. Ask yourself the question, what am I needing forgiveness for? What am I asking forgiveness for when I come to God and say, oh God, please forgive me. Oh, I'm done. What am I actually asking God forgiveness for? Is it just that you said a bad word, right? So some wrong syllable came out of your mouth? Or is it the fact that you actually took a gift of God, something that was to be used for his glory, that was to be used for good, to be building one another up and and sharing the knowledge of Jesus, and you took that, you twisted it for an evil, selfish intention and actually brought harm onto others who are made in the image of God, that you disrespected God's image in others, that you would actually cause disrespect and, and hate to be thrown onto them. Is it that you who call yourself a Christian for a moment there decided you would not represent Jesus at all? That you renounced that even for just a moment of of selfish intent? That in fact, if you're honest, at that moment, you hadn't even thought about God at all. In fact, he was disregarded in your thinking entirely. And for that brief moment, you didn't believe it mattered one bit what God had called you to do. It's not just about the syllable that came out of your mouth, is it? It's about a sinful heart that produced it. Right? Jesus says there is a blessing for those who mourn, who take the time to consider what have I just done And it is those who find the comfort, the genuine comfort of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. So so let us not jump over it too quickly and and get ourselves quickly to forgiveness because we don't want to feel bad. Feel the weight of your sin that you might feel that weight lifted in redemption. So that's the first way we can try and avoid it. But the other way is perhaps even more damaging. The other way is to actually begin to harden your heart. To feel that conviction of sin and instead of running to to Jesus, no, you actually just harden it down and say, I don't need to deal with that at all. See, I think all of us know what this feels like. 
right? Think about the first time, we'll use swearing again as an example. Think of the first time you said something to someone in genuine anger. You swore at them. You probably felt bad that first time, didn't you? And then you did it again and again and again, and it got easier and easier. It got easier to do that over and over. You became a little bit more hard, a little bit more calloused, right? Until finally, it doesn't even feel bad at all. Until finally, you can continue on, and you're not even thinking really about what is happening. You don't feel that prick of your conscience at all. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn who feel the weight of their sin upon them and then respond, but you haven't even felt it. So what do we do if that's the case? How do we protect ourselves against that? Hebrews chapter three says this. He says, exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Right? The writer of Hebrews gives the church two things to really think about in terms of not letting themselves become hardened by sin. The first is that if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. In fact, do not turn away. If you hear his voice, if you hear God pricking your conscience, calling you to repent, do it right then. Keep short accounts with God. Don't let long periods of time go by where you're not speaking to God, but instead come to him regularly. As long as it is called today, come before God. But the second thing he says there is to actually exhort one another, right? To actually call one another, encourage one another, remind one another of the gospel and what Jesus has done. And hear me now, that is something we need to take very seriously. Especially right now as we can't actually talk to one another. We can't be going out and, and meeting together. So we need to be hearing this. We're in danger of letting our hearts grow numb of letting our hearts grow hard by the deceitfulness of sin as we sit in our isolation. So hear this call, exhort one another. Use every avenue we possibly have, right? You pick up a telephone, drive over and roll down the window just a little bit, right? Go on FaceTime, on Skype, on Zoom, on social media. Use whatever tools God has given to us to be able to exhort one another. Right? If you're not in a life group right now, this is a great time to get involved because there has never been a danger like this for us. We are so isolated, we can easily become so deceived by our own sin that we become hardened, that we don't even hear what God is calling us to do, to mourn over our sin. So when you hear God speak, answer quickly. Keep short accounts with God. Repent often. Encourage one another. And then finally, spend time in prayer. Ezekiel chapter 36. It says, And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Spend time in prayer. God, my heart is hard in places. God, I've got calluses on my heart and I don't feel the conviction that I ought to. I don't feel that mourning. I don't feel that regret even for my sin. Lord, give me a new heart. 
That's what God does. All of us need to be praying this again and again and again, that God would be working in us and transforming our hearts to be more and more like Christ, to be sensitive to the things that God loves and to even abhor the things God hates. May we have new hearts. Spend time in prayer. God, change my heart again and again and again. So this is what Jesus calls blessed. Blessed is the one who mourns, who actually looks at their sin and grieves and feels the weight of that because they are the ones who will be comforted. They are the ones who come before Jesus and are blessed. Psalm 32, King David writes this psalm. He was a man of God and he was a sinner of the worst kind. He writes in Psalm 32, verse 1, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. David knew what this blessing was. He understood how great it is that God had forgiven his sins, that the truly blessed life is the one that God has forgiven. And so here is the irony that Jesus teaches to his disciples. It is that those who rejoice are the ones who mourn, that the guilty are the ones declared innocent, that the sinners have been made into saints. So let us mourn over our sins that we might come to experience the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. That is a blessing. Let's pray together. Father, Father, I confess that my heart is not always aligned as it ought to be. Father, I pray, give me a new heart. Transform me again and again that I might love what you love, that I might hate what you hate, that I might be drawn more to know you, to love you into the great comfort that you have. Father, lead me not into sin, but lead me to glorify you in everything that we do. Father, I pray, watch over us in our isolation. Father, leave us not by ourselves, but might we encourage one another as the day draws on. Lord, I pray, be with each and every one of us that we might not be deceived by sin, but that we might have soft, tender hearts ready to follow you. Pray these things in your name. Amen.